Welcome to another episode of the Choose Strong Podcast. I'm just going to dive right in because I know that today's episode is going to be so much fun. It's probably going to go longer than we had planned, but I am so excited about today's guest because not only is he one of my dearest friends um, and very well known in the ultra outdoor endurance community, but in my opinion is also one of the greatest endurance world filmmakers, um, storytellers around. And I just have so much admiration for my good friend. Everyone, welcome Billy Yang to the podcast. Hello, Billy. How are you? Wow. <laughs> Those are a lot of adjectives you threw at me, Sally. <laughs> it was. I think I think maybe uh, half of them undeserving, but uh, thank you Whatever. just the same. How are you, Sally? I'm good. Okay, this is like long overdue, but also we were supposed to do this in person, and I, I that was what I originally requested. Hey, let's do this in person. Um, but yep. I think after Moab, we will do that because it has been, a, and for you, you and I both have been traveling so much in the past couple yeah. months, and so being at home is been a luxury. Careful what you promise people, by the way, after this podcast, (laughs) you may not want to sit down and record with me again. (laughs) No, this has been, gosh, I don't even, I I really want to start like in 10 different spots because one, for those of you that are listening, and I have to, to actually say this first, Billy, our show is not just for runners. Like we have a huge community of people that, you know, they don't run ultras, you know, they like to be active, but we really try to target just every walk of life with our show. So our tagline is strong mind, strong body, strong love. And so we use running and and endurance as more of the parallel to life. Um, Just a fun way to tell stories and then relate, relate them back to life, which is another reason why I'm so excited to have you on today. But I think I just want to first start in and introduce everyone to you and who you are and just how we became friends. Um, And then we can kind of move into the topic that I have planned today, which is just basically how to be a rock star pacer and crew chief. And both of those things, being a pacer and crew chief, they really relate to life too, because it's like how to be a good friend, how to support others around you. Um, Some really good parallels. But like I said, not everyone here is totally into ultras and endurance running, but we do have a lot of people who love to crew and love to pace and like they're happy with that. So I think a lot of of what we're going to talk about today will really intertwine well. Before I continue, I thought we could just like say how we met. And how we became friends <laughs> so long ago, we almost yeah. 15 years ago. And then you'll bring somebody who's actually qualified to speak on the crew and pacer part, right? Because I don't know what I'm doing here for that. Uh, okay, but for the first part, we can at least go through the first half and then see where it goes from there. Sally McRae and I met back in, I want to say it was 2010 or 11. Can you correct me on yeah, which? Yeah, it's 10. It's 10. Okay. 2010, 50 mile race at the PCT 50. It was my first 50 miler. And correct me if I'm wrong. It was also yours as well, right? Second. My second. second. I okay. had just done one like, you did. I think a few weeks before American River 50. Was yes. American first. River 50. Were there <laughs> yeah. the, the amazing photos of your kids screaming, <laughs> Isaiah screaming for you as you were leaving one of the eight stations. Yeah. And... Uh, what else do I remember about that famous photo? It's you <laughs> dressed in like bright pink and yellow, of course. I was wearing cutoff socks for arm sleeves. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and that's that dovetails into this story because what I remember about you 
is that you were both super bright in appearance in, <laughs> in the attire that you were wearing, but also in your personality, as you are wont to do. You were extremely joyful. You were extremely positive. <laughs> and I was anything but when you came up on me. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere early in the race. I think we were probably about like mile, somewhere ten. between mile five and 10. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. <clears throat> I hear this really bubbly, effervescent voice running behind me. We were running on a single track and I was having none of it. <laughs> I was not in a good headspace. I was thinking it was super hard early on and maybe I was uh, not quite prepared. I had all these doubts in my head. And then I hear Sally's voice. And Sally's engaging in me in conversation, which I was, um, if I remember correctly, reluctantly obliging you in, in maybe yeah. very terse answers. And <laughs> I think after about, I don't know, somewhere between 10 minutes. We never minutes, even looked at each other. We never looked at each other. You were seeing the back I of my head. I had no idea. behind you. Yeah, I had no idea what you looked like. <laughs> But you were clearly having a better day than me. I think that much we were able to establish. So I, I, at some point I was like, this is ridiculous. I stepped aside on the trail, let you continue on. And then I, somewhere, um, somewhere in like miles 20 or th no, it was okay. So it would be an out and back. So somewhere like between 15 and 20, I met my friends and now our mutual friends, Josh Spector and Colin Cooley, they were out there <laughs> supporting me. Uh, God bless those guys. And um, I remember saying to them, hey, I met this girl, Sally. I think she's doing the Bishop High Sierra 50 mile or 100K the mm -hmm. following weekend because you're just that much <laughs> of an animal. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to do my second 50 mile race and I'm going to do my first 100K <laughs> the following weekend because this is what we do in the sport. <laughs> And um, because Josh was also going to be running his first 50 miler at the Bishop High Sierra 50 miler mm -hmm. the following weekend. So I wanted to be sure to connect you guys when we eventually saw you at the turnaround. And I had, again, we had no idea what you looked like. And then there you were in your bright fluorescent colors. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing, personality-wise, super bubbly and super loud. And I was like, oh, okay, there's that girl. I re remember that voice and I remember that laugh, certainly. So, um, quick intro, you know, we pass each other and then yeah, I, I do believe, back. yeah, but then yeah. you really connected with Josh the following weekend. And then mm -hmm. I, I also remember you guys doing, um, you guys did a long run at the bulldog. Malibu yeah. Cause Creek. I was doing the bulldog too. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, eventually, <laughs> like eventually a few months down the line, I agreed to pace you at your first hundred mile race at the Angeles Crest. Yes. 100. And yes, which I is... think, yeah, and I think I was like, Sally, you know, and, you know, we had kept in touch over social media, Twitter, yeah, but Twitter I, and Facebook. Yeah. And then I, I was like, you know, this is before I pace you at your first hundred mile race, maybe it's a good idea to like hang out again because we're still yeah. technically strangers. <laughs> so I do believe like yeah. a couple of days before Andrew's Crest, you were uh, gracious enough to drive down and run in the Santa Monica mountains mm -hmm. um, where we decided to do a night run. Yeah. Los together. Leones. Yeah. And then of course, yeah. like small talk immediately out the window. We had the big talk right away as we were running <laughs> yeah. with headlamps doing the seven mile on back and then um, became Thickest Thieves, really good friends from that point yeah, on. Yeah, very good friends. I think that was what um, has always be been at the root of our friendship, which I'm really excited about this um, conversation anyway, is 
is, and probably why we've been friends for so long, uh, why you've always been such a valuable friend to me is because we are really good at being very honest with each other. We don't do the small talk for too long. Nope. Um, you're, you're okay with calling me out on the carpet, with challenging me, with, with speaking truth to me. And I think those are all traits of like a real true friend. And we just like loved a lot of the same things. So I think that you and I both kind of have like a create a very strong creative side to us. We're big dreamers. We're storytellers. Um, we love adventure and we love to eat a lot of food. And so, (laughs) um, over the years, all those things just went hand in hand. And I can always, I know over the years and even now that you're always someone that I can kind of bounce things off of, whether it's an idea, you know, or, or, maybe a hard spot that I'm in. And I've always appreciated that about you. So I think that that's also why I wanted to bring up like the pacer and crew because you were my first pacer I've ever had. (laughs) And the stories that we have, it still is like one of my favorite experiences ever. And it's something you and I can laugh about. Can we, can we, can we title this episode, what not to do when you pace and crew and then just extrapolate all, all my stories. Well, here's the thing, Bill. I think we, you and I have been in the sport for so long. So like people, when they approach us or they communicate with us, that's the other thing too. Billy and I have, we've traveled to a lot of races. We've done a lot of the same events. We've stood on the stage together many times. We've done a lot of podcasts and interviews together. I think we've just always kind of mesh well. So people are like, oh, they're pros, like they're experienced. They've been in this for a long time, but sharing like where we started is hilarious. And I think it's really comforting for people that are brand new to this sport or don't know much about the sport that they understand that we all have a starting point and we have all, we were all rookies at one point. And, and, and always learning, always learning, <laughs> always always forever learning. a student, forever a student. You are so right. But, um, Billy, why don't you at least first explain the Angels Crest 100 about that race? Cause it is one of the toughest hundreds in the United States. It's not well marketed. It's been around forever, which oh, is yeah. going to make you pacing me and what you did all the more hilarious. Well, so Sally and I, we we do have that in common as well. While PCT wasn't our first 50, it was our second 50. We do have our first 100, mm-hmm. um, although it didn't take place at the same time. Angeles Crest 100 was both of our first 100-mile yeah. race in mm-hmm. the um, high atop the San Gabes. Starts in Wrightwood, climbs up. Um, I would say there's like different ecosystems. I, I kind of mm-hmm. think about it in thirds, like the first third of the race is this high country, right? So you're running somewhere between uh, 6,000, 9,000 feet uh, to the top of uh, Mount Baden-Powell. And then you're on this beautiful, just like beautiful PCT section of the race, uh, very mountainous. And and then you kind of drop into like the second third, which is more, uh, you know, you're at the apex of the day, the sun, the heat, um, you know, the previous iteration, you're you're dropping into canyons where it's, it gets really hot. And then the last third, which is still super mountainous, but like it's relentless. It keeps kicking your butt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm, in particular, I'm thinking about the iteration that you and I ran from Chantry on and you're just like in really technical footing. Um, you're still climbing up a lot. You are, you know, most of us are in headlamps and it's, it's just a really tough race. It challenges mm-hmm. so many different aspects of your running ability, the mountainous, the heat management. Uh, and if your stomach and your uh, wits are still about you, the last dirt is still like punching you and pummeling you <laughs> uh, or trying to into submission. And then 
Um, you know, when you have somebody like Sally who is uh, decides to add on a fourth element, which is running uh, her first hundred mile race with a broken foot or no broken, broken leg, leg, a broken leg. <laughs> yeah, just like for shits and giggles, like let's just throw one more <laughs> like element in there, mo- one more monkey wrench, and having a pacer who. <laughs> just came ill prepared with one single handheld, runs out of water, and proceeds to take water from her runner who's running her 100 mile race. It's just like all these elements kind of set her up for her failure. But no. Sally, being the person that she is, persevered, pushed through all those challenges, including a a dubious stranger that she picked up from Chantry onto the finish uh, as her pacer for some reason like um she still persevered and ended up finishing her first hundred mile race broken foot uh, broken leg and all so fourth place um, man i mean that's angela's crest (laughs) in a nutshell (laughs) it is you so it's extreme heat it's altitude it is relentless exposure it's i i think there's is it over twenty thousand feet of climbing in that um, uh, if not, it's close. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, almost equaled it. I think the descent's about 18,000 feet of a descent, but Billy decided to show up on this um, raging hot summer day with one handheld of water, but he had a packable <laughs> jacket, which this packable <laughs> jacket was also a belt. So it looked like, you know, like the old school, like um, bottle belts that people used to wear. I mean, I know uh-huh. people still wear them, but like, that's what his belt was. It was like this strap and then this little pouch that was his jacket. And so he's running with his handheld. And mind you, he's pacing me for the marathon distance yeah. in the high country, yep. fully exposed. Oh, and, and all and of a sudden, <laughs> I, ran that, I ran that section shirtless, by the way. Anyway. I did not need the jacket. <laughs> So while I was prepared for like polar, like wintry conditions, (laughs) what I wasn't prepared for was the actual heat of, you know, what that section provided. So yeah, lesson learned. So again, kids. We have a great picture. Billy, that is going to be the picture for this podcast. Oh, okay. I know which one you're talking about, obviously, because there wasn't that much photographic or video evidence. But yeah, no, (laughs) we came into an aid stage. This is so great. Well, at the time, this is like only Angela's Crest was doing that. But you Mm -hmm. could come into the the aid station before Chantry Flats and Chantry Flats marks what? um, 75. Yeah, Chantry Flats marks 75. So you're 25 miles from the finish. You're going to pick up your second pacer at this point. Um, But the aid station right before Chantry Flats, they had this really cool setup with a video camera, live feed. Yeah, it was like Zoom before Zoom was a thing. Yeah. And Newcomb Saddle. Yeah, Newcomb Saddle. You're right. So Newcomb Saddle aid station. And so everyone waiting at Chantry Flats could see when you come into the aid station and you could talk to them and you could wave. And so everyone could prepare, but it was just this really exciting moment. So there is this iconic picture of Billy and I, and it's like, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night and he's shirtless (laughs) with his empty water bottle. (laughs) So for the people who may not um, look up this photo, I am wearing, so I'm not wearing a shirt. Like I mentioned, I have this one handheld that was probably empty at the time or close to empty. And I'm wearing, I don't know if you remember what was on my head, Sally, a headlamp, but I had like a GoPro Two, <laughs> Did you know, you? like the second iteration of a GoPro <laughs> on my forehead. Oh my gosh, do you still have that footage? 
Yeah, I think I sent you screenshot. You, you know, every now and again, I'll, oh I'll clean gosh. up my hard drives and yeah. I will send you random memories. Yeah. I'm sure <laughs> I sent you like oh a screen gosh. grab or a video clip or, or something. But it's just, oh. yeah, it's super shaky. And the whole time, it was kind of tilted <laughs> up. So all I'm getting is like at the top of the back of your head. Uh, yeah, so some Billy's cinematographer filmmaking. I was. Some, some Billy's <laughs> filmmaking. So um, Billy is, has put out some incredible films over the years. I mean, films that are getting over a million views and are known worldwide. I mean, we just came back from UTMB. I could not believe how often you were stopped, Billy. And every person is like, your film's so inspiring. And everyone has their favorite. I know you have so many. Um, if you're listening and you haven't checked out Billy Yang Films on YouTube, please do. They are some of the most inspiring, beautiful films about our sport that always have a wonderful story with them. So, but it's so amazing to see how far you have come in your filmmaking journey from a um, GoPro two on your head, bouncing around, <laughs> only getting the top of my head. And you used to do like these vlogs. See, when I met you, you were LA runner. <laughs> you were larunner.blogspot.com, yeah. LA Runner on Twitter. I was a blogger. And people knew you as LA Runner too, because I remember even oh, back no, then people, being with you. There were like two and a half people who knew who come I on, was. Come on. The first Who's time the I was stopped and, and somebody actually <laughs> called me LA Runner, I was like, oh my God, I made it. <laughs> um, but it yeah, if you want to, I wait, I have to double check and see if that is still up. Hopefully, I'm still paying the domain <laughs> fees. Yep, it's still up. LARunner.com. For those of you guys, that's the one thing I will shamelessly plug because oh, I love um, it. the last post was in uh, April 23rd of 2015. Well, our guests need to know this. Yes. That every great achievement comes with a lot of learning. A lot mm -hmm. of rookie mistakes, a lot. And it's a, it's a long journey. to. And, and I, I don't think people want to do that. I don't think people want to accept the fact that things take years to grow. Like the foundation that you need to build something great. I mean, you don't... Yeah. I think if, it's very rare that you hear of something overnight. This, oh, they're overnight sensation. It's like, but were they really? Were things really... Did it really happen overnight? If we could go all the way back to when you first fell in love with the camera and filmmaking and creating, I mean, we'd go all the way back to your childhood. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to tell those stories, but it's true. Well, like you, you had that love for film yeah. for a long time. And I never really connected that until uh, semi-recently. And I realized I had, there were all these, and I actually got some of them digitized. They were like really bad music videos that I would make in my living room <laughs> with my buddies or um, stupid sketches that we, uh, we filmed in the backyard. Um, yeah. I was always walking around with a video camera and there's actually... Mm. Uh, a picture of me in grade school holding my dad's Super 8 or whatever it was, just a giant, janky piece of technology. Yeah, upon reflection, it, it was something that had captivated me. But, you know, I think I attribute some of my success, too, to just timing. Um, hard work, certainly behind the scenes, and this incremental success along the way is always the 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 hero's origin story, right? You always have mm. a lot of failure or you have a lot of... Um, you know, like just like like the trails that we run, they meander, they 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 drop, they go up, but it's never the straight line of like point A to B. And mm -hmm. I think that is the the valuable thing about ultra running 
in of itself is that within you know whatever your distance is 50k to 100 miles or in your case 200 plus miles there is it's not this linear path to success it, there are ups and downs there are failures there are thoughts of wanting to give up and quit multiple times but that is the hero's journey and i think the more challenging it is the more valuable that uh, that success um, that accomplishment is ultimately. So yeah, and in my case, Sally, I don't know if you and I have actually talked about this, but I was never, I never had that, that ambition, that uh, the embracing the journey and and the hardships mm-hmm. and all that. I was the one seeking the shortcuts in life. I was the one looking for the hack. I was the one that was constantly deterred by, oh, you have to do all this work. Okay. Well, I'm not, I'm just not going to do it. So that is something and hopefully there are people out there that can relate to this because so many people out there inspiring people like yourself and cam haynes and the david goggins of the world they 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 not only accept it they embrace it and for me i i can't relate to people like that and it is very antithetical to my natural being uh, which is just wanting to sit there and and just hopefully let success come to me And, um, but that is the valuable, valuable lesson I've come to take away in ultra running is that the journey is, is it. I mean, that is regardless of however successful you are in the sport, whether you're Jim Walmsley or someone put, you know, fighting cutoffs, like it's all about the journey. It is all Mm -hmm. about overcoming. It is all about just, just doing something that challenges you. And, and I think, you know, you and I had a talk. We just came back from Mammoth Trail Fest, this amazing three, four day event that Tim Tollison put together. And uh, um, I had the great fortune of being up on stage with Tim and Sally. And I, I just remember this really powerful line of of just some to the extent of like the longer the distance gets, the more is revealed about who you are. And I, I just found that so poignant and so like dead nuts on. Like it is it is about embracing that journey because it more is revealed about yourself along the, along the journey and along the path. So, and, um, and I, I really do love that you bring that up as far as like, and I do remember having this conversation with you. We had this conversation. I feel like we've had that conversation a couple of times okay. where you, I, I remember one time you, you had even said, you know, I feel more like that. I don't work harder that I am lazy. I was like, I don't think I would, I would never describe you as that. Um, but, I also know that the way that we see ourselves, like sometimes we see ourselves very differently than than the way the world sees us. Or sometimes we see ourselves in such a way because we're comparing to the extremes. And so you look at someone like Goggins or Kames and you're like, even if I work hard, I still feel lazy (laughs) (laughs) because of what's around me and what I'm, I'm placing as the standard for myself. And, and I think that is like such a cool point of discussion because, you know, I don't think that there's one way for everyone the same way to achieve a dream or to go about like writing their story and their journey. I don't think that it is supposed to be, you know, every day you need to get up at three and go, 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 you know, this high intensity, like never resting and always trying to push the envelope. I think that there's beauty in every unique story. Obviously there's a platform where you can share as much as you want, Billy. I mean, I know so much of your story and Mm -hmm. I think you're 
story is so incredible and what you have come from, what you have worked through, what you have seen, what you know. I mean, it's, I think that's why you're such an incredible storyteller because you have a heart that's able to empathize and with a lot of people. And I think also that's why what makes us like great friends, like you have a lot of depth to you and, and I think it's good for people to hear that, you know, hard work isn't about the intensity every single day is just about committing and not giving up on a dream and staying committed and disciplined doesn't mean, I guess we can like equate this to like a running program, like staying committed and disciplined doesn't mean you, you're doing a hard tempo run seven days a week. That That's not what it means. Like the commitment and the discipline means that you have recovery days that you sometimes have to run easy. And sometimes you have to take a day off and you have recovery seasons. And, and then you have days where you're, you're pushing so hard and at the end, like you're, you're, bones and muscles are tired and you're exhausted, but the seasons come and they go. And I think that there are things that we know from the time that we're little, like we can look back on our lives and realize, wow, like I was passionate about that. And I love that from the time I was a little kid. Like when I think of you with the, with the big camera and, and just creating and wanting to perform for your family and um, even be able to you know, you know how to play the guitar. Like you have so many creative aspects about you and the way that you can entertain a crowd. That really is a part of who you are. You've never strayed from that. But being able to take all that and make a career out of it, to make something that then impacts the world around you. I mean, you've changed a lot of lives through your storytelling. You've inspired people to try things they never believed that they could do. And I think that's what's so incredible about you know, living your life authentically. I feel like today, a lot of the messaging is like that you have to do these crazy physical things that you have to do a big race. I heard someone on a podcast the other day that was like, everyone needs to do an ultra. And I was like, no, they don't. I don't even think everyone needs to run. Like Uh, not everyone can, not everyone can do those things like physically do those or afford to do those. Like these are, these are parallels to life. I think physical movement is great. Like we want to be healthy, but Telling someone that you can't get to the edge of yourself or you can't find out who you are, you can't really like experience or go to that place unless you do an ultra. I feel like if a message is not something that can resonate with people all over the world, every walk of life and age, then it's it's weak. Yeah. And I, I do think that, you know, it's not a one size fits all. Like to participate in the sport means you have to have this in- intensity and this uh, undying ambition to get out the door every single day. I do. It's kind of weird. We have this love hate relationship with the sport where I don't think <laughs> many other things involves uh, needing motivation or needing that initial push to get the momentum going. Because as, as everyone who is an endurance runner out there knows that first mile always kind of sucks. Right. (laughs) And it's always like, how is today's run going to go? You just never know until your body starts to warm up and you're like, okay, well today, um, you know, the workout, I feel, I feel strong. I feel great. And I'm going to crush this workout. And there are days where you're just like, Oh man, this warm up feels hard. How am I going to get through like a 16 by, you know, 1600 by whatever? It's just, it's, um, it's a weird sport. And I can't tell you how many times, uh, to your point, Sally, and, and thank you for mentioning all those or saying all those kind of things. One of the things that I hear often is like, wow, you inspire me to get out the door or you inspire me. I watch your video before my 100 mile race all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, 
I don't need to watch a food vlog video before I sit down and eat, you know, like mow down uh, Las Vegas buffet. I do it because I just, you know, I love food. Um, so it is this like weird dynamic, right? Like um, on one hand, we feel really great and accomplished at the end of it. But at the same time, you need this little nudge. You need this push. And if I'm the person who provides that for you, that's fantastic. I mean, I never, ever tire of hearing that. I mean, again, this past weekend when people are telling me that they signed up for this 26K because they watch one of my videos or, or they point at me and they say, you're the reason I came here or the reason I'm trail running is like, can there be a better um, compliment? You know, like um, there were a handful of people who were that for me, like Dean Carnassus being the first one and then several other people that came after that. But yeah, to open the door to this amazing, amazing community. And, um, and I start with community first. I mean, the trails are awesome. Being in the mountains, being in nature, as everyone knows, is awesome. But the community, I, I, at least for me, is what keeps me coming back. So to be the gateway drug, if you will, to introduce people to this amazing sport. And now we can do it sort of at scale with YouTube and, and social media and all of that stuff is, is tremendous. Forget what, the or, uh, uh, forget what we were talking about that let me down here. But all this to say, um, you know, like I'm somebody who needs that too. I'm, I recognize that. And that was sort of my instinct in being sort of behind the camera and now a little more in front of the camera is that I was I was missing that. I was definitely somebody who needs that, um, you know, for all the Jocko Wilnicks and the Cam Haynes and, you know, whatever, like who are self-motivated and have self-discipline. I empathize with the other side. I'm the one that needs some sort of external pressure, whether it's the pressure of signing up for a race or the motivation of seeing someplace beautiful and wanting to explore somewhere beautiful myself. I'm that person. So I, when, I, when I speak and when I storytell, I'm kind of talking to those people. Yeah, I love that so much. And I think that is what is important for people listening that, yeah, there's a lot of messages out there that kind of make you feel like it's go hard, go home every single day. Yeah. And if you're not doing these wild, crazy, extreme physical ventures, then, you know, what are you doing? Then you're not living. And it's just not true. Some of the hardest things that we do in life are taking care of our families are being consistent, showing up for our job every day, knowing it's going to provide, you know, for our family or um, going to school every day and trying to get that graduate degree in order to fulfill that dream and having hard conversations with maybe people where bridges have been burned. I mean, the, those are real life, really difficult situations that define so much of our character and who we are. Those are the things that, that impact the world, you know, the way that we help our neighbor and the way that we interact with the community around us. And I think the, the racing and, um, you know, training four hours in the gym, all those things, I mean, those are drawn out of one, maybe a love for physical activity and sport and the community that is surrounded within those sports. But I also believe that, for example, earlier this year, I did a challenge. It was a Choose Strong challenge, and it was for 30 days, challenge yourself to move for, to move for 30 minutes a day. Now, I, I never said like, you need to run, you know, 30 miles a day or you need to lift or you need anything. My whole point in doing that challenge was just to encourage people to 
to get out and breathe in the fresh air. That yeah. it doesn't, that the, the benefits of moving your body every single day, they don't really have to do with like the size of your jeans and how fast that you can run or whether or not you can win a race or if you're building up to a hundred mile race. But what people, the feedback that we got from a lot of people was they were sharing it with their family. They were going out after dinner and going on walks with, with their kids. And, and I thought, man, that's incredible. That's the best part of movement. Movement in and of itself, it doesn't need to be surrounded by a race, but it does make your life better. You just feel better head to toe when you're able to get out and you go on a hike or a bike ride or a walk with a friend. Like you just feel better breathing in that fresh air when you're getting off the couch or you're having a bad day, get out into that sunshine. Um, that really is the reason why I did, I did that. Why yeah, did the Choose Strong Challenge? Yeah, there's clear scientific evidence to point to uh, the power of movement. And mm -hmm. I can personally attest to some of, some of my most creative moments are when I'm just with myself and with nature and my head 100%. is clear. 100%. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't tell you, there are so many times that I've had to stop and jot down notes or do a voice memo because I'm just, my head is finally detached from... Uh, from social media, from just being on my phone constantly. I mean, ironically, yeah, I pull my phone out to jot down ideas, but um, mm -hmm. I usually reserve it to that. And I usually am not, generally speaking, not on, um, not listening to music, not listening to podcasts or anything, uh, except for the Choose Strong podcast, of course. <laughs> but um, it is... There is actual scientific studies pointing towards um, just a dopamine release of of mm -hmm. movement. And so, and, and, you know, and doing a challenge like that also breeds community, right? Like everyone's in it together. There's, you are in effect pulling this community together to do, uh, tackle this one thing. And there's something powerful in that too. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just basically like supporting everything you're saying about, about these challenges and the power of movement. Um, it is not about looking a certain way in front of a mirror. It's just about you know, feeling better about yourself. And that's certainly what I found in the sport as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, for, you know, as a coach, I even come at this from a, a coaching perspective where sometimes we'll have athletes say, I just wasn't feeling it today. I lost my mojo or I didn't have enough time. I couldn't get out the door. And, and sometimes I'll encourage those athletes. I, I not sometimes I, I do. If I, if they've lost out on like an eight mile run and they're beating themselves up, I'll say, you know what? Forget the eight mile run. I'd love for you just like go outside and walk for 30 minutes and just yeah. be quiet and be still. And as you move along, like allow yourself to rest in the fact that you did something today and you care about this goal enough that you're upset about it. But sometimes all you need is just to kind of slow down and still move and allow your mind to think. And I think what's really cool when we do that is that later on down the road, it gives us that freedom and creativity to think, I wonder what would happen if I just like walked for 45 minutes or maybe I'm going to start run, run walking and I wonder what my body can do. And I think that a lot of times that's why people sign up for races. They're just curious. They don't believe that they could do a half marathon, but, but they're curious. And, yeah. you know, sometimes personality types have a lot to do that too. The people that don't like to be rushed and put under pressure all the time and feel like that if it's go hard and go home, like sometimes you lose people that way. But a lot of times when people feel like they have the freedom to create their own path and, and come at it at their own pace, they end up loving it. They end up loving that journey because, 
because they they do it in a way that's most authentic to them. And so I love this conversation just in and of itself, knowing that there's so many different ways that you can approach a journey. And you you found running, um, running in the mountains, trail running after you know a hard time in your life, and and that became like a, a peaceful space for you. And now look what you're capable of doing. I mean, do hundred mile races. You would have never thought you would be doing that. Yeah. And I just want to, um, I just want to piggyback of, uh, off of what you said just now about, you know, building good habits, building strong habits, building lasting habits. It's not this linear path. Like we were talking about, like the trails that we run, like the races that we run, it's, you're going to have low moments. It's not like this continuous hockey stick, up Mm -hmm. towards you know your end goal and it's going to be smooth sailing all the way there are going to be days where you just don't feel like getting out there but um Mm -hmm. to quote the great des linden you just have to keep showing up right in -hmm. some way shape or form you have to keep showing up and that is the uh, that is just like the fundamental whatever you call it like the north star of building a good habit and building a, a foundational habit that you will um you know, you'll, you'll just keep showing up in some way, shape or form, whether it's mm-hmm. like your point, just lacing up your shoes and stepping outside the door or like getting out and crushing a monster workout. It's just all about showing up. And um, yeah, it is something that for me took a long time to uh, really fundamentally at my core understand because um, when you were referencing a hard point in my life, I, I you know, our family tragically lost my dad to a, a very brutal a botch robbery when I was um, at this very uh, lost point in my life. Um, I was in my late 20s. I was uh, working at this nine to five job where I was just like, it was completely aimless. I was living for the weekends. I was, you know, smoking, drinking, womanizing, and just like had this very aimless existence where, uh, you know, like I was perfectly content to live this way until, uh, you know, I was six feet under. Like that was my only goal in life was just like make it to the weekend. That was it. I didn't have any healthy habits uh, short of, you know, occasionally having a celery stick with my buffalo wings, you know, like just like nothing about my existence was like this person that you see in front of me, which again, um, I will forever remain a student and uh, forever remain a work in progress. But um that time even more so i was far more removed from anything healthy um habitually and and then when this uh, sudden thing happened in our lives it was it shook me to my fundamental core and did this complete reset in my head of having to find purpose and meaning to my existence and um this is where i think you and i've talked about this a lot when you lost your mom very tragically in a um you know, not similar way, but in a equally tragic way. Somebody, she was somebody that you really loved and looked up to, um, you know, where you found inspiration and joy from, which you still radiate to this day. It is um, character building. It is a, okay, now why? You know, like you have a choice. You can sit there and feel pity and anger and shake your fists at the world, at the universe, at God, whomever you want to point the finger to. Or you can do something about it. And it was, for me, a, uh, a rewiring, if you will, of my fundamental way of thinking, of behaving, of trying to, again, like it, it is when I, um, I tell people, I uh, tell myself that it is when I became a man, uh, mm-hmm. in effect, because I realized that 
everything you do in life, the people that you're around, it is, it all speaks to who you are. And I wanted to be somebody that was worthy of, you know, in, in hindsight, in, um, you know, postmortem, be somebody that he was proud of. And I've had quite a, several moments out there on the trails in particular at the tail end of a really tough ultra marathon at the tail end of a really tough training run where I've just like broken down and cried and like audibly talked to him. Um, I don't, I'm not necessarily, uh, believe in a higher being per se, but it is when I feel the closest to him because I'm just like, God, I wish you could see me now. You know, like, uh, here I am just, like completely the antithesis of your son that you knew here on earth, but God, I wish you could see me now. You know, just the fact that I'm out here, just the fact that I'm pushing myself, um, you know, when, when I was this aimless, just purposeless son that you've had, this, you know, black sheep, if you will, the middle child. And I'm out here, you know, at mile 85 of a hundred mile race, um, struggling to put one foot in front of the other. I'm just like, uh, despite the hurt, despite the pain, I'm like, you would be so proud of me right now. And um, yeah, I, I, that was uh, that was a huge uh, catalyst in my life that knocked me off the, the trajectory that I was on. So it sucks when something tragic happens in your life, but we always have a choice, right? We always have a choice on how we show up the next day and how we choose to frame it. And in my case, I refused to feel sorry for myself, refused to feel sorry for my family. I was going to make his passing have meaning and honor him that way. And that's how I chose to do it. And it's beautiful. I, I, I don't, I've never met anyone that lost a parent the way that you did. Um, oh, so yeah, this was at the time I was like, oh, these things happen to other people. This is, this happens to other people on the news. This, there was like surreal moments where I'm, I was up there and on one side is the mayor of LA, on the other side is the chief of police. And I'm there giving a press conference with news cameras everywhere. I'm going, this is not happening to us right now. This is what happens to other people. This is what we see on the local news or the national news. And you're just like, oh, that sucks. And then you go about your day being with your family and being with your loved ones whenever you want. This has not happened to other people. So, I mean, this is all this to say, I definitely felt sorry for myself um, for uh, the immediate aftermath of when it happened, because that coupled with just outright confusion and anger and all those things. um, Yeah, it was just once that went away, it was like, well, now what? You know, do you want to continue to feel this way or do you want to do something about it and and inject meaning into all this? And uh, yeah, I think there's one lesson that could be taken away from my story is that we, no matter how hard things get um, and certainly more tragic things, far more tragic things happen to other people. But regardless, we always have a choice, Mm -hmm. a choice in how we choose to respond and answer the bell because giving up is not an option. It's just simply not an option. So you were thrown into your whole world being flipped upside down. I mean, overnight, literally overnight. And that you also had, you had to make a lot of, you said you grew up. Um, how old were you? You were 20. I was uh, 28 at the time. 20, 28. 
And you had to make some pretty extreme decisions because you picked up your dad's place at work. I don't think a lot of people know that. Yeah. So um, he, I mean, that was the, that was one of the reasons why it had this really, this impact on the community because it was, it's not something that happens generally in that part of town, at least back then it was like kind of Beverly Hills adjacent. It was in a really nice area. Um, He had built this uh, liquor store up from, you know, it was his first business from 1985 on. And, you know, he and my mom basically built it from scratch. And, you know, it was one of the quintessential immigrant stories, but allowed us to move from a poverty stricken, you know, I came to this country when I was six years old, didn't know lick of English and um, still definitely have that part of me where I'm just like, the kid that doesn't quite fit in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he built this business up from scratch and it allowed us to live more of a middle uh, middle class life. And uh, when this happened in, in the brutal way that it did, and you know, just like a week before Christmas, a Saturday morning like every other, I was, of course, like hungover from a Christmas party from the night before. <laughs> I just like slept with one of my office, you know, co-workers and I, I stumbled home late that night and I was in bed when I when my phone kept ringing you know I did try going back to work like a month later and then I just realized I remember sitting in my cubicle and just like crying going what am I doing here hmm. um, my family needs me and so yeah I effectively quit my job and just took over the family business for the past I don't know, like however many years, like close to a decade, I think, if not more. Mm-hmm. I remember having conversations with you while you were watching the Laker game sometimes there. And you made a lot of sacrifices um, by being there. I know that wasn't, you know, the top place that you that you wanted to be. And you always had to work on Sundays. I remember yep. that. <laughs> Sunday nights, yeah. Yeah, Sunday nights. Yeah, you always had to be home. So like... You know, you, and when you were also then, gosh, I think when I met you, that's when slowly you started to to make films and and things like that. But yeah. you know, you you'd film on Saturday, and then you always had to make sure that you were home on on Sunday to yeah. You know, to, I was to always the store tethered to the business. <laughs> yeah. So this jet setting lifestyle, if I had any of it, it had to be confined to a few days and instead of like weeks like I get mm-hmm. to do now, which I'm eternally grateful for. You know, to this mm-hmm. day, I still kind of sort of have that dread for Sundays when everyone else relished Sundays. Like Sunday mm-hmm. was always my Monday. And it mm-hmm. was always that day that I just low, I had this like low level dread every time days <laughs> kind of led up to the Sundays. Yeah. Um, it's no longer... It's no longer around, um, thankfully, and my mom was able to retire, and um, you know now I get to do what I love full time. Yeah, but you, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to this, where they're raising a family, they have family commitments, or they're in school, and they're trying to pursue what they love, and it, it can be frustrating because you're you're kind of split in two. You know, you're you're pulled towards your responsibility in one area, but you really want this freedom to do what you love full time, and you had to figure out how to chip away at both those things. You had yep. to figure out how to chip away at what you love while being all in on the family business and really es- essentially taking your your dad's spot um, without being asked, without uh, any warning. I mean, it was everything, your whole entire life changed so quickly. But I'd love for you to share a little bit within that season, how you found 
the LA mountains because you were not a runner. <laughs> no, I was not. And um, you rode your I, bike a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I had my motorcycle, and I yeah, you know, that was definitely one of the post his passing. Like I'm gonna live my life to the fullest, and that certainly scratches an itch, but um, it certainly didn't. I, I never found community through it. The running part, uh, I've told this a couple times in the past, but um, to fast track the story, I in in the process of trying to find purpose, I was I thought um, I would apply to become a police officer, LAPD, and uh, if anybody knows me, that is like the worst idea in the world. <laughs> like, yeah. imagine me being a cop, right? No, but, I remember being very shocked yeah. when you told me this story. I was like, you? yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> but. You know, the the press at the time, um, you know, they were still very much connected to our family and our family story and the outcome. And they loved it. I do believe a couple of articles were written about it. Uh, son of murdered victim to become a cop, you know, like uh, it's very sexy, like kind of a Bruce Wayne, Batman-y, you know, headline. <laughs> but, um, I love how you I'll, parallel with the movie too. Yeah, but it's just like. It, it, you know, and I, I was like, okay, I found my purpose now. I'm going to become a cop mm. and then um, I'm going to become a, like a homicide detective for a little bit. And then I'm going to get into politics. Like that's going to be my new career path. It just quickly became evident through, through going through the process that I was not cut out for this. A, I had too much shit in my past um, that drew too many red flags. Okay. I said I would fast track this story. Basically, I knew I had to get my ass in shape. And to do that, I had to give up smoking and um, I had to uh, figure out how to run. Um, uh, Cardio was definitely not my strong suit, but I was like, okay, I got to get in shape. So I remember being at the store and anytime I craved a cigarette, I would just like take a quick break and just sprint around the block as fast as I could. And then, you know, come back to my <laughs> shop completely drenched in sweat and out of breath. And like, okay, at that point, the cigarette was the last thing I wanted. And then, <clears throat> so that was kind of like the, the the start of something. Is it that wasn't how quite, you quit? Was uh, that so, your remedy? Was that your nicotine patch? It was, it was, one, it was one of the methods, yeah. And then it's amazing. That, I've never heard that one. Yeah. That's so great. <laughs> when you want a cigarette, just sprint around the block and like, yeah. you're going to be and so And just nauseous. like run it out of your system. <laughs> I love it. <clears throat> but it really wasn't until I, I met a good friend of mine, Charles, who was actually at my mm-hmm. wedding. Yeah. So maybe you met him, maybe you didn't. But he was, yeah. he was the, you know, he was a gym buddy of mine um, back at this gym that was right next door to the office that I worked at. And he's somebody I met and, you know, we became friends and he suggested we train for a half marathon. So I was like, half marathon, how long is that? So I look it up and it's like 13 miles. I'm like, oh man, that's insane. <laughs> so I, um, I remember I was like sort of on the fence and the only thing that really made me feel good about signing up and committing to it was looking at photos. It's going to sound, it's going to make me sound like such an asshole, but I, I looked up race photos from the previous year <laughs> at the Pacific shoreline, now surf city half marathon, yes, you know, yeah. in your hood in Huntington mm-hmm. beach. I remember seeing these people who had clearly, you know, looked a little more, uh, I don't know, like non-athletic than me, Com- <laughs> like running and competing. So I was like, all right, if they could do it, I could do it. So I signed up. <laughs> And so we committed, you know, I did commit to it and, you know, we trained like 
four to six miles on runs and it was just like uh, it, it was extremely hard, but I committed to the process of training for it. And I remember the weekend before. So the race takes place in February. I remember the mm-hmm. weekend before it was cold by objectively cold in LA. Yeah. And I lived in West Coastal LA. Coastal cold the time. is cold. Come on. It is. Yeah. It was like yeah. 30 degrees. Yeah. And yeah, I told myself, rainy. yeah, to, to mm-hmm. fully feel confident about running 13.1 miles, I, need, I needed to step my game up. So I ran, I mapped out this route in West LA. And I remember running, I think it was about eight or nine miles the weekend before. And stepping up your game. Oh, I, it was the Uh. hardest thing I've ever done. But I remember thanks to Dean Carnassus and ultra marathon, man, now I could eat whatever the hell I wanted. And I remember walking into a Carl's Jr., which uh, for right those of you guys, you ran eight or nine miles. Yeah, for those of you guys okay. who don't know, it is like a fast food place in Southern California. <laughs> and I ordered a, ba- a double bacon cheeseburger with French fries <laughs> and a root beer. And the uh, the poor guy behind me had to hear all about how much I just ran, and now I could eat whatever I wanted. Uh, <laughs> I was quite proud of myself. It was like uh, one of those moments. Those moments in life that I definitely remember to so this day. So you burned 500 calories. You ate 2,500 <laughs> like, calories. Oh, now I could just pull a Dean Carnassus <laughs> and eat like greasy cheeseburgers and, and, and French fries and be okay. Oh. But yeah, um, fast track to that half marathon. I just remember at like mile um, 10 or 11, as you're approaching the final straightaway, I remember the sun was in my eyes and I just had this, uh, you know, what's commonly referred to as a runner's high. And it was a very emotional mm. moment for me. I remember mm. like crying. I remember I felt, I just felt like I was floating. Mm. And that was when I, I just like something clicked in me. I said, this endurance stuff, I can get behind. Mm. You know, I see it. I see it. The, the, the journey, the process, embracing all of it um, to this final celebration of running the race. I see it. And then Shortly thereafter, I, after I finished that race, even though I couldn't possibly imagine doing 2x that distance, I signed up for the LA Marathon, which was a month after that, and I just wanted to keep the momentum going. <laughs> so yeah, um, that was back in 2007 now? My God, that was a long time ago. Yeah, um, LA Marathon, and then the rest, as they say, is history. And then year after that, I found trail running and, um, yeah, just discovered this whole other side of the sport, discovered that there was nature in Los Angeles. Surprise, surprise. And, um, yeah, and I just found this community and it's been, it's been, um, it's been amazing ever since. It's funny. Cause my first half marathon was, um, Pacific shoreline. City. And yeah. then my first marathon was LA marathon. Yeah. I yeah. mean, those were like the big races. There's so many races now. They're still iconic in, in Southern California, Surf City in LA. I mean, you can't go wrong signing up for either yeah. of those races. But but to God. tell myself at, in that moment that now you would be involved in running 50Ks, right? 100Ks, 100 milers, like, get the hell out of here. What are you talking about? <laughs> Who does that, first of all? And second of all, like me? No. Yeah. No way. But it's it's super cool to hear where you started, to hear the journey that you had and and how your life once was. I mean, I think a lot of people listening um, can either directly empathize with you and or even indirectly, whether they know people that you. it's really easy to feel stuck in your life that you're like, well, this is just kind of like my life or even feel stuck like in a small town 
where you're like, this is just what we all do. Like you don't go outside the lines or, you know, I'm not the kind of person that, that could ever do that. Or I just don't have what it takes, or I just don't have the time or just not today. And, but yet kind of having deep inside this yearning to, to try something new or to get out of that rut or to challenge yourself. And your story is pretty powerful because you have, have lived many different lives. You have, you've tried a lot of different things and yeah, you weren't the kind of kid that just like went to school and knew you wanted to be a lawyer. And like, so then you did that thing in college and it all this very like straight, smooth career path and had a family and two kids, you know, it's like, there was a lot of crazy stuff going on. Yeah. Um, and, and, and sometimes <laughs> like, uh, you know, accidentally stumbling as I want to do uh, upon like a sport or upon a career, you know, it is really about these choices that we make in life and how we decide to uh, really, yeah, I guess for lack of a better term, make lemonade out of uh, lemons and, mm. you know, you're somebody who's no stranger to that, too. And just I, I think that's what's so powerful about your story and your origin story, if you will, uh, in mm-hmm. reading um, your latest novel or your first novel, <laughs> is that, you know, everyone has a story, an origin story where so many times you could have given up or so many times you could have just taken incredible pity on yourself. And nobody would really push back against that. Yeah. But it, it really is about the choice that you decide to make, that you can use that either as fuel, you can use that to be, and then hopefully, you know, people listening out there will just find your book instead of having to go through the crucible of your unfortunate childhood. I say unfortunate loosely, though, uh, because I want to be careful about you know, it, it is a part of your story. It is mm. what made you, you. It is, I think, to read that book helps people understand, oh, this is why this girl can go through the depths <laughs> of hell in a, in a race that she voluntarily chose to do. Because there were all these involuntary things that she had to participate in and experience, mm-hmm. uh, much like myself in, in different, much mm-hmm. different ways, mm-hmm. that provided this outline and this blueprint for who you ultimately became. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying necessarily to embrace that or you have to take a bunch of shit to become this badass on the <clears throat> other side of it. But hopefully you can see a piece of content or read Sally's book or or hear Sally talk, which again, like this past weekend, I'm her friend, I've heard her stories, but to still hear you talk, like I just want to like run through a brick wall because <laughs> Sally is just that person who is all about not just, to, you know, using her story to get the best out of herself, but using her story to get the best out of everyone else that she comes in contact with. And now you're doing it at scale through this podcast, through the book, through the video content and I'm just like proud papa over here just like over <laughs> like overjoyed at the success that you've had and are continuing to have. Thank you Billy. I I so appreciate that and very very lucky to have you as as a friend. And I think we've always I think that's what's been so cool about our friendship is we we do both understand extremely difficult times. And we found running in in two totally different ways and I think what I, I was trying to explain earlier too, is that for some people 
they live pretty much like a, they've lived like a smooth, awesome life. They've had an amazing family. They have a great job. And so it's very easy to also feel like, well, this, this is just the way it is. And, and I'm not saying there's anything um, negative about that. Like, I, I think we should love the life that we're in and feel comfortable in the story that, that we are writing. And it doesn't need to be like, it doesn't need to have extreme elements to it. Yeah. And I, I feel like sometimes when I talk to people that that is what they're looking for. And so many times it's why they sign up for an ultra. Well, I feel like I have to have something extreme. I have to experience like this really extreme intense pain or discomfort. And so, um, I need to do all these, you know, different things in order to experience that or for my life to be valid. And, and I think what is the most powerful thing we do is just live authentically in the life that you're in now. Yeah. And, but always knowing that if you desire to try something new, if you have like that passion for something, you can choose to pursue that, but you can do it in a way that is authentic to you. When I was saying earlier, like, you know, there's people that they grow up in a great family and like they have supportive people and like they want to get that college degree and like they become a lawyer or a doctor or a teacher or they, or they want to raise children. They want to be a stay at home mom. Like there's so many different things that we are all passionate about doing. And I think that we can still find fulfillment and we can impact the the world around us, even if it's just one person in our life, you know, it could be our neighbor, it could be our children. And I, I don't think that we have to live a life of extremes. We don't have to do these crazy things. I, I actually told this story on the Cam Haynes podcast, how I go, my mom loved being a mom. She had five kids. She would have wanted more kids if she could have, she didn't have social media. She didn't have a ton of friends. She's a little more quieter, a little bit more introverted, a little bit more shy. But I realized that because of the way that she loved her children, the way that she loved me, the way that she spoke truth to me, I've carried that legacy on. I've been able to carry that message on. Like her strength in in faith, being courageous to stand in her faith, being brave enough to speak about her faith. Like I think that all those things impacted my life. And I realized, wow, because she impacted me, I'm able to share those stories with people um, through my content and around the world. And so I think that is so important to speak about that when you live your life that's true to you, it doesn't mean that you have to go on these crazy expeditions up Mount Everest and that you have to have a million followers. It's, it is really living in that vein of like what you know to be true of yourself, what you feeling, you know, living out the gifts and the talents that are unique to you, finding your heart's passion and, and feeling that. And sometimes that is just with a few people around you, you know, and, and that's what I love. I think that's why I love that you're a storyteller because you, you love to tell a lot of people's stories through your documentaries. And again, I can't stress that enough for people listening that, um, if you want to be inspired, watch, um, Billy Yang's films. Uh, if, if you, you want to be inspired, one... <laughs> just consume all things Sally McRae. <laughs> Um, you you have a film on your Western states, which I think is your most popular film. Leadville, probably the Y. Oh, is it the Y? That's yeah. the, okay, uh, it's, but it's you also Leadville. have a Western states. Yeah. Okay, Leadville's yeah, yeah. your most popular film. Well, it's probably it's the most viewed, and certainly the, the most. most viewed. Um, but I, that was a very deliberate. Um, that was a very d- deliberate mission on my end. Was that I, I wanted to stop talking to the people in our community who get all the shorthand references to, you know, states mm-hmm. and hundred miles, yeah. running a hundred miles, is just a common thing to us. It's like every other mm-hmm. weekend in the summer, you know? Yeah. Um, know. And then really try to approach it from the lens of, you know, the first timer or the, the significant other who 
sees their husband and wife constantly gone for five or six hour stretches or sometimes more mm-hmm. every weekend. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's the people I wanted to connect with and, um, and, and speak to. You know, I was just mm-hmm. thinking as you were talking about um, people's stories and, and uh, you know, their passions. And I was just thinking about how amazing our sport is. And I do, uh, again, like coming from just this past weekend of the uh, Mammoth Trail Fest, which is very, uh, to Tim's credit, very community focused and very, mm-hmm. it's not about the elites. It's, he did it's such a great every job. Every single... So you know, you just felt the love. And, I, you mm-hmm. know, I had front row seats, sort of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. being able to hand out medals to each I and know. every finisher. And that was like such a cool experience. And to so cool. meet all these people who are, I cheered my ass off for uh, for every single person because as they were coming in, you just saw the stories written on their faces. And, you know, mm-hmm. it just... Um, and, and in some of the stories that they shared at the finish line, it was just like such a powerful thing. And it's like, um, but to get back to what I was thinking when you were talking, it was like, how amazing is this sport that you can literally, on one hand, you could be running next to a former drug addict who was like living on the street or is currently living out of their van or their truck or whatever. <laughs> and also running next to like a fortune 500 CEO, somebody who's pulling in six, seven figures, and yet we're all like embarking on this journey together. There's something really amazing about that, that I hate the whole painting, you know, I, I won't get into the politics of it, but just painting people in the same brush. Like, oh, these are all privileged people without mm-hmm. stories or they all have the same story. Mm-hmm. Like you have no earthly idea. <laughs> you know, you just, you presume a lot about these people as like entitled privilege getting to do this that have hundreds of dollars in disposable income don't have any hardship in their life no a lot of these people are running towards hardship for Mm. a variety of reasons and Mm. to presuppose their story or their intentions it's just it, it gets me it genuinely makes me angry because every freaking person has their own story and it's an has their own uh, reasons and their whys of showing up to the start line. So anyway, I, mm-hmm. y- you know, you know how I get about some I of know. my rants, Sally, and um, <laughs> I'm going to pause myself there, but I just want to say <laughs> to highlight the positive side of, of this yeah. community, it is that we all get to do this, no matter how mm-hmm. fast or how slow we all do this because, you know, we, we have this one objective and the community component of it is what keeps us coming back. And it's such well, a cool the, the, aspect of it. You're right. And I think what's neat about the community, I had said this earlier, because a lot of our listeners, they love to be involved in the community as volunteers, as spectators, as crew, as pacers. And I think that's what makes it so beautiful is you don't have to be on the race line. I think people are seeing that when you have time out on the trails with someone for three, four, five, 20, 30 hours, it's amazing the conversations that come out when you don't have these distractions, when as you start to wear down, you don't have anything to hide who you really are. Oh, and there's something and, actually, I, I think there's like a study done about, about not being like directly, you're not sitting across from someone at a Starbucks yeah, and like looking them eye to eye. There's something, there's something about like being side by side, not making direct yeah. eye contact. Again, like going back mm-hmm. to your and my story, we there is, hit the ground running on our about. first run post PCT 50, <laughs> where we just like 
bared our souls to one another <laughs> because know. you know it was at night we had headlamps on but we were running side by side anyway yeah. sorry, sorry i just want to inject yeah, that no, real quick. I, I love that and i i say that to people all the time i'm like when was the last time that you were able to even go out to coffee with a friend and you talked for five hours straight uninterrupted. Yeah. That's, I, I think that people realize when they come into the world of endurance sports, it's in many times, my favorite part is the training because of that. Like I go out and train and it's like, yeah, we go run in the mountains. I remember, especially in the, in the beginning days when our, our whole crew, you know, Dave and Colin and Josh and Ethan, like we'd spend like five hours in the mountains and, and we would talk the entire time. And, and when you have a lot of days like that, where it's uninterrupted, you really get to know who you're running with. And then you, you transfer that into a race. I mean, I'll, I'll never, ever forget ever like Sean O'Brien, when I, I got my golden, golden ticket to Western States and all you guys were there. And then my first Western States, when I got into that top 10, all you guys were there and the stories and the support that came out of that. I, I won't forget that forever. That that's the best part. You know, I don't know what like, my pace was and all that. Like it was like the stories and the support that came out of that. And I think that people long for that. People want to belong. They want to feel like they're important. They want to feel loved and, and to be a part of something. And, you know, when you have friends that truly know you and they see you in your weaknesses, they see you when you look ugly and gross and they're hugging you and cheering you on and they they listen to you when you're doubting and, and you're hopeless and they're and they're telling you that they believe in you and, and that they see you and they, they know that you're strong. I mean, I, my first years in ultra running, it was really learning a lot about friendship and the power of friendship and how, when you surround yourself with people that believe in you, truly believe in you and want the best for you. I mean, it kind of makes you feel like you're unstoppable, but then to take that and transfer that into your real everyday life, you know, that's why you see a lot of these endurance athletes, like they're like best friends in everyday life, you know, because wow, these are people that I can trust that I know I've spent a lot of time with, like I really know who they are. And yeah, so I'm really grateful for, you know, for that in and of itself. But I think that that being a part of community, no matter what that is. I mean, we could talk about the pickleball community. Um, my my father-in-law, <laughs> he plays pickleball every yeah. day. I know, right? Like yeah, that, I, that community is like so incredible. Like he looks forward to it. Like he's made so many friends. Like he has so much fun, you know, that there's the, there's so many different sports, but you, you think about okay, what is it like, what, it, what draws people to being outdoors and doing an activity? And it's like, so often it's, it's the people that are there. It's, it's the training, it's the conversations that are shared. It's, it's going to dinner afterwards, it's getting food and drink afterward and just sitting around and talk about what you just did. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. a really strong pull there. Well, there was that film that I made. I've never played um, pickleball, by the way. Uh, I have, <laughs> I, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. it <laughs> Um, and I'm sure there are amazing people in pickleball, but um, there's amazing people everywhere. I I do think that that was a huge component of what people were actually like fundamentally, you know, we, we were like during COVID, for instance, there was this whole, you know, the events were canceled, sure. But I think fundamentally what people longed for was that connection. And I'm not talking mm -hmm. about through computers. I'm talking about real in-person connection and community. Mm -hmm. 
And that was one of those things that, you know, God forbid we go through anything like that again, that we have to remind ourselves that this is not a optional, that we're just like foregoing for a time. It is essential to who we are as human beings, mm-hmm. you know, find things, commonalities, find, finding people that, that see you instead of just like two strangers walking by each other who see you. And who has a reaction, who you can hug in person, who you can sweat and share miles with or a game of pickleball. <laughs> it is it is that that, you know, we can't overlook and we can't we can't forget about. And I did make a video um, talking about this one study that this um, this gentleman, this doctor did a uh, like multi-year study on like what makes for a happy life. And it, number one was community. And I think that whatever it is, to Sally's point, whatever your your niche is, whatever your passion is, like it does still come down to people and mm-hmm. h- human beings and the connections that we make. And and that's why I could run a hundred miles by myself, crewless, pacerless, <laughs> but I choose not to because and I, you know, to people who want to do it, more power to them. But I like creating memories. I like having this shared experience with people. Born out of COVID, it was this adventure club that I created with, um, along with another coach because we realized, oh, people don't care about uh, wanting to be at a race to run a fast time. People want to show up to a race for that shared community. And so, um, you know, there are a lot of Bad things to uh, come from COVID, but there were certainly a lot of good things that come out of COVID. And one of the things that still to this day, we put, we mark our calendar and it's about, about a dozen to 20 plus of us who has this shared adventure that we, we say, you know, this is what we're going to do this year and we're going to do it together. It doesn't really matter how fast or slow you do it, but it's just about that shared experience. And, um, yeah, so just the power community and to zoom out even more about the ultra running community as a whole, it is about the shared experience. It is about the sweat and blood and tears that we share out on the trails. It's not about how fast or slow or how many miles you run. It could be 26K, it could be um, hill ascent, or it could be a 50K plus. And um, yeah, I think it's just all about that. Doing it together is what makes it truly special. And that's why our sport is so amazing. Absolutely. I don't, I, I can't ever imagine not being a part of the ultra and endurance community. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're in it for life and whether, whether we're, we're racing or we're putting out content or we're commentating or, um, standing on a stage or coaching, pacing, crewing, volunteering. There's so many ways that you can be a part of it, but I, I totally agree with you. I, I love that, um, the community is deep. You can f- travel all over the world and, and you're going to find ultra runners. You're going to find trail runners. You're going to find, you know, people that just love, you know, love to get out there and, and grind with each other. And, and certainly uh, it is a little bit different for you who does this professionally. And so you mm-hmm. can't just be like, oh, I don't care where I finish. Yeah, yeah It's very important <laughs> to what you do. But mm-hmm. when shit hits a fan or when you don't quite have the day that you are expecting or wanting or, or thinking you're deserving of based on your training, you know, what are you left with? It's about the journey. It's about the people that you go on that journey with. And, um, you know, even for an elite athlete like yourself that 
there's still, um, you know, commonalities and through lines in what we're discussing, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. I think, you know, I, I had said earlier that I wanted to ask you about what makes a great um, oh, crew yeah. and pacer. <laughs> the whole thesis of this yeah, I mean, this but talk. this has been, I would not change it. I, I love this so much. I'm so excited for, for people to hear your story and just who you are, Billy. But I also think we can throw in like some fun points, but, but I do think through our experience, I mean, you and I, even if, if, you know, I mean, we've done enough pacing and crewing, but we've been around the sport for so long. Like we've witnessed and heard a lot in yep. the ultra community. So being at races all over the world. And I think that pacing and crewing, it really comes down to the personality of the athlete too, and where they are, what their expectations are, what their goals are, what they're trying to do, because people definitely have their different styles that they like, you know, like I talk to athletes and they're like, I want a pacer that's going to talk the entire time. And then I, I meet other people that are like, I want them to be quiet the whole time and just le- like run in front of me. And, you know, it's, it's just really interesting to hear what, what people do and, and don't like. But I do think that there's a few like fundamental things that if you're, if you are looking to career pay someone for the first time, or you just want to improve in those areas, that there's a few key points or things that we could um, kind of highlight. And I thought you would be a great person to do that with because you filmed a lot of this. I mean, you filmed a lot of your story, but like a lot of stories of, of athletes all over the world for a long time. And you're always in the community. So I would love to hear from you, Billy. What do you think, before we talk about Pacers, what do you think makes a good crew chief? I will, um, I will certainly answer that in a second, but I, I think if we're going to, if you're telling me your audience is, you know, makes up of ultra runners, mm-hmm. runners, and maybe people not in the sport, maybe we could set the stage for what is a crew, like the role of a crew and a yes. pacer. So how would yeah. you define a, a uh, ultra running crew slash pacer? Yeah, typically, and I'd say at most races in the United States at ultra distance events, which is a distance um, beyond the marathon distance, you can have crew. And crew can be one person, it can be three, four, five people. I mean, typically only need a, you know, one person's great, but it's fun to have a couple of people out there on crew because it makes it fun for the crew. And what they will do is they'll carry maybe specific nutrition or clothes or extra socks, maybe some medical stuff. Um, they're also there to encourage you if you hit a low point, but crew can typically only be at aid stations. And so they're, they go to designated aid stations and they're there to assist you. You, Crew is not necessary to do an ultra, but there are advantages to it. So if a race says that you can have it, it is nice to have a crew, um, a familiar face out there. And we say crew chief, because if you have, let's say four people in your crew, the crew chief is like the leader. It's the, the organizer, the one that's going to be calling the shots and making the decisions, um, to really keep everything structured and organized. Did I do yeah. a good job, Billy? Yeah, I think so. And the Could role of a pacer. Yeah. Well, um, I think you covered it pretty well, um, to get into really quickly the role of a pacer, I would say, mm-hmm. which is something probably, uh, far more common in the, here in the States in Northern America, oh, Nova, yeah. South America, but a lot of international races do not let yeah, you have pacers. You, you have to cover the entire distance on your own. A pacer mm-hmm. is essentially, it's not somebody who is necessarily setting the pace. 
Uh, it's, I do think it's a bit of a misnomer. It's more of a race really? companion. It's a, uh, hopefully it's a friend or in your case for your first hundred, a complete stranger, um, <laughs> who is there to accompany you, who's there to essentially remind you to eat, to drink, to hopefully keep, keep you, you on, on course. Yeah. Yeah. And, and make sure that you are engaged in the experience and not bitching and moaning too much, hopefully, and, and hopefully not. <laughs> Uh, trying to convince a pacer to give up. Um, so it, generally speaking, I believe most races, it's pacer is a lot more common in a hundred mile plus race. And you can pick them up after a certain distance where the runner, the racer themselves might get a little loopy, might start bonking a bit. And the pacer is just basically there to uh, essentially run stride for stride, keep the runner engaged, like I said, and, and, and well-fed and fueled. And, um, yeah, and just share the experience with. So that is the role of a pacer. To go back to your original question, what makes for a good crew chief? I would say you have to be, if you're the runner and you are in the decision-making process of this, you have to, A, select someone who is, has strong organizational skills. <laughs> and uh, I have had the whole spectrum of experience. And when I see somebody who shows up with a spreadsheet, who is asking the right questions in the pre-race meeting, that's when you know you have a good pacer. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, crew chief rather. Mm -hmm. And somebody who is not afraid to take the reins, to your point, if you have multiple people out there who have their own little, you know, why don't you try this? Or like too many chefs in the kitchen. This is a person who says, hey guys, back off. Like this is what we're going to do at this aid station and, um, and go from there. So just having that one voice to uh, to help manage the situation if things go haywire. And, you know, in your case, Mr. Eddie McRae, who is probably, hopefully, behind the scenes listening to this, um, somebody that I've come to admire a lot just from showing up to some of your 200-plus mile races because he is just like that calming presence. Of he Steady just Eddie. shows up. He knows exactly what to do. And if things aren't working, as you had previously discussed, knows how to pivot, knows when to allow you to sleep, when not to allow you to sleep, knows when to push you, when not to push you. And he does it with this very calming <laughs> and steady Eddie presence. Yeah. And so you want somebody like that. I don't necessarily recommend your significant other always being crew chief because some it's like oil and vinegar, baby. Like when oh shit gosh. hits a fan and <laughs> both of them, you know, if there isn't one calming presence to counteract the other, then it's just, it's going to be a shit show and you're going to end up resenting each other. Same thing with the pacer. <laughs> yes. So I would say, uh, yeah, just somebody who is, who's, you know, who doesn't mind sitting there staring at the same path, waiting for the runner to emerge. Um, somebody who is good at organizing, somebody who is... Yeah, just that steadying presence that you need um, to get you through to the finish line of a hundred plus mile race. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are all wonderful points. I love. I would. I would have said the organization as well. Yeah. I think that is that is key, especially if your runner is coming in. And generally, unless there's something wrong, your goal is to get your runner in and out of the aid station as, as quickly as you can, because there's nothing worse than someone not making a cutoff by two minutes or yeah. five minutes or, or, you know, that's, oh, that's the worst. And sometimes it can, because, it can be because there was disorganization in an aid station, not 
really identifying what it is that you need or kind of just like hanging out too long. And so the crew chief needs to be a bit on top of not only what the runner needs, but timing. Um, I know for me, one of my pretty consistent requests over the years has been, you know, two minutes or less in the aid station. I usually like 90 seconds or less, but at, at maximum two minutes. Now, when I'm in a, a spot that I require you know, medical attention, then obviously we need to do everything that we can to make the body feel better before we leave. But when you have a good um, crew chief that can really understand you, they know your goals, so they keep your goals at the forefront instead of how you're feeling at a particular, you know, you might have just a low point, but if you're physically fine, they're going to be like, yeah, you don't feel good. Get out of here. (laughs) That's a great point. That's a great point, Sally. You do have to play sort of... uh, the part of a sports psychiatrist or psychologist. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking back to my own experience at Wasatch where I was just, I had this entire list built up in my head to where once I told Hillary all these reasons why I should drop, she's going to let me drop. And guess what? <laughs> yeah. She would have none of it. She said, <laughs> um, you know, unless you're timed out or unless I see a femur sticking out of your body, <laughs> you're getting to that finish line. And <laughs> it is important to do it with, you know, depending on the runner, again, like knowing what works for them, having the right amount of compassion, but not too much compassion. You can't be like, mm-hmm. oh, that hurts. Okay. Well, you should drop. No. Yeah. Like That happens s- a lot though. That happens it a lot. Happens That's why lot. you have to know the crew chief. You have yeah. to pick the right person. You know, they like, have to understand okay. the sport and how, how it goes. Like lows yes. are part of it. So I'd say yes. the crew chief needs to understand that your runner will have a low point, even if they're super fit and fast. Like it is literally a part of the race is for them to come in bonking, tired, crying, vomiting. Like, yeah, it's part of it. Get them out of the aid station. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless this it sounds is so ruthless. <laughs> well, you know, unless it's something potentially like long term you know, uh, rhabdo, God forbid, or something like that. Like Mm -hmm. you're fine. You're you're dealing with the low. Everyone's going to have a low. You're just Mm -hmm. having it right now. So um, guess what? Like, you know, if you're, even if you're feeling good, guess what? Just wait. And things will change. Yeah. If you guys want to hire me and Billy for your, as your crew chiefs, you can. (laughs) For the low price of $999, we will come out and we will Uh, yell at you in every station. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and you know, if you want to pivot over to a pacer, it is more or less the same thing. You know, you're going to hear obviously a lot more bitching and moaning. Um, Sometimes, you know, the runner is going to feel amazing and may want to push the pace, but you have to also Mm -hmm. kind of calibrate and see where they're at in the course of a race to know when to push them, when not, when to pull on the reins a little bit. But Mm -hmm. generally speaking, and I think if I'm speaking to more of the mid to back of the pack, you're going to be trying to do everything you can to prod them along. So, and stay positive, and stay which positive. is very hard and, because – Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Bill. No, no. Yeah. I, and I was just going to talk about the the stomach component of it when things mm-hmm. start to rebel and when they don't <laughs> want to take in calories. Like they told you and they insisted and they said – at the pre-race meeting, what, no matter what I say, no matter how much I protest, make sure I eat and drink enough. And then sure enough, 10, 15 hours into the race, they're like, no, no, it sounds awful. I'm going to puke it up. Like you're going to have to deal with that and you're going to have to constantly problem solve. And that is a part of the sport. It just is. So I would say so far, if we were making a list, our crew chiefs are organized 
they are zeroed in on the runner's goals beforehand and they stick to them the entire race. Yep. They're ones who are okay with confrontation and calling the shots with all their other uh, crew members. And they know how to give a little tough love so that you can reach the goal that you originally came there for. Yeah. And, uh, and then pacers, they got to be good at staying on course. I think that's one of the biggest things. There's nothing worse than hearing when a pacer and the runner go off course. Yeah. You're like, oh my gosh, the pacer is the fresh one. <laughs> like yeah. fresh legs, fresh mind. Like, and so it's easy, especially if you have a really good friend and you're just settled into like the best conversation ever. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen a marker in a mile. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're and, off course, right? And also not freaking out because there will be sections depending on how the course is marked. But yeah. that's when you know, like, you can rely on something like a map or a GPX that you've mm-hmm. preloaded for your section. And yeah. um, you can you can reassure your runner that you are indeed on course. We've had that a couple a great... times at Tahoe. I didn't, yes. I didn't say it at the, in the yeah. moment, but there were a couple of moments <laughs> where I didn't get that confidence marker. And I was yes. just like, oh, shit. And then I would look down at my watch yeah. and I'm like, Okay, I think we're still good. And then we see one. And I'm like, see, Sally, we're on course. Told we're you good. this whole we're time. Good. Be confident. And inside, I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> well, 200s have less markings just anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is easy to feel that. But I think you're right. Like when we started in the sport, Billy, we didn't have, they didn't have like the downloadable maps for our phones and the GPS trackers. And, in and, our day, and, we had to print yeah. out a map. <laughs> Open up a Thomas guide. <laughs> <laughs> like it was so long ago, <laughs> yeah. but it, I mean, it, that really is popular just in the past few years. I feel like, like everyone yep. feels like, okay, I can get on the Gaia map or the Topo map. And like, I feel like I can see my dot I'm falling on the course. And so that yeah. is a huge advantage, but yeah, pacers need to understand where, you know, you should probably carry with you or screenshot off of the website, the aid station chart. Like how far yeah. to the next aid station? How yeah. many times does a tired runner ask you how far to the next aid <laughs> station? I mean, to an annoying degree. Yeah. And so for you to know that is really powerful. Staying on course is powerful. Make sure they're eating and, and drinking, but also knowing their personality and when to speak and when just to stay quiet. Um, I think that's hard sometimes for pacers. I mean, I remember I had someone one time that was like, dude, I'll totally pace you. Like I tell the best stories. Like I will, I will keep you fired up the whole time. And I'll just like, and I I was like, dude, no, <laughs> like that is not my style at all. Like, and Billy, you've paced me enough, enough hours to know that like, I can be very chatty and engage and you can really get me going. And then there's other times where I'm like, I'm not talking to you. Yep. <laughs> Don't yep. tell me when to eat. I'll eat when I want to eat. <laughs> I, I, uh, I just paced and crewed, uh, my, my now wife, Hillary at I am tough. Mm-hmm. I did make one almost crucial error, which was I didn't quite think of it was okay. So to set the context or the stage, <laughs> it was like mile 56. It was the heat of the day. The only thing in my mind, I'm sorry, not 56. It was like mile 30 something. The only thing in my mind was ice bandana. How do I cool her down? Make sure she has mm-hmm. uh, ice in all her bottles. And, and it was just like heat, 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 heat management. That's right. the only thing in my mind. What I didn't factor in was the next time I would see her wouldn't be for another 26 miles. There is potential that she is going to have to do some of those miles in the dark. So she left without a headlamp, which <gasps> is a critical error on both of our parts, to be fair. Oh, my God. 
Because she didn't have it on the on the spreadsheet, but I should have factored that in. So you have to sort of expect the unexpected. Um, there may be sections where it could be really, really hot, but they're going into the night and they'll need layers or they'll need a headlamp in my case. So you have to be on top of those things and think on behalf of the runner and think sort of a few steps ahead before uh, just like, certainly you have to take care of their immediate needs, but you have to think about what they're going to face for the next, you know, for the next several miles before you can see them again. Yeah, that is how many of us have forgotten a headlamp or a headlamp has died yeah. while out in a race or even yeah. just in, in training. That is, that's pretty critical. That's happened to me several times that I now carry these little clip on lights that I've gotten from Amazon. You get two for like 12 bucks, but they are so bright and very light. And it is always in my pack just from the start all the way to the finish. It's, it's just a backup little yeah. light that I know if, if my headlamp goes out or I'm, I'm going to have that little clip on light and it, I can put it on my waist or on the strap of my, um, of my pack. But yeah, checking for gear, having like a gear list and, and going over, you know, what gear is going to be needed for what, for what section. But you know, I think what what's critical too is knowing that all the projected times that you think that your runner is going to get into an aid station, something really bad can end up happening. And it's like, wow, we didn't think they'd need a headlamp here at all because they were moving so well. And then suddenly it's like, oh my gosh, they totally needed a headlamp for that section yeah. and we didn't give it to them. Or wind jacket yeah. or rain gear. Like you just have to think on behalf of the runner and you have to think a few, you know, it's a few steps ahead for sure mm -hmm. on behalf of the runner. Yeah. Communication overall between crew and pacers um, before the race is going to be one of your most important components to helping your runner get to the finish line mm -hmm. and asking just some of the most basic questions. You know, when you're low, how do you like people to talk to you? When you are feeling sick and nauseous, what works best for you? Yeah. I like just to think of every possible thing that can go wrong. And as a crew chief, I bring everything. I bring nausea medicine. I bring a blister pack. I bring peppermints and, and ginger chews because both those things can help with a, a, a sick stomach. And I try to think of every possible error and obstacle that my runner is going to encounter. And I bring something for all of that. And, and then you communicate with the runner. What it, yeah. what are your top three goals that you want to do out here? Is it that you just want to finish? Do you want to place on the podium? Do you want to get a better time than you did last year if it's a race that they've done before? What's the best way to pace you? What do you like? Do you want me to talk the entire time? And I always try to let the runner know, listen, you can speak to me any way you want. However you are out on the trails, we leave it on the trails. So if you get bitey with me, don't, don't feel bad later on or think that you've offended me. I 100% understand. And I think that's good. It, it gives the runner a lot of relief and grace going into the race when they know like, okay, I told you that I'm going to want to talk the whole time, but then you're like 88 miles into this hundred mile race. And you're like, I just want it to be quiet. Cause I'm so sick or I don't feel good. Or I'm having a hard time breathing. Like I actually can't hold a conversation, you know? And I've even told people before, like, you can tell stories. I'm just going to listen to you. Like, <laughs> and I'm sorry, I can't engage with you at all. But like, I love that you're telling stories. It's really helping me. Yeah. Those are some of my bigger, bigger tips. Yeah. And always, Always think about, especially the longer the race gets, having a variety of different calorie options. 
from oh, liquid calorie, so good. soda, mm-hmm. chips. I like I like a lot of savory stuff. I know like Hillary again at I am tough was like I really like spring energy gels. I really like uh, awesome sauce, whatever it's and called. And then what happened? I'm just going <laughs> to use, use that. And then like by mile 50, she's like, I'm yeah. over sugar. Yeah. Like, find me something yeah. else. And and this is where <laughs> like you have to like throw different things at the stomach and, and see what sticks. In your case, the only calorie, like anything <laughs> uh, calorie related at Tahoe 200 that you can actually get down were uh, smoothies. Yeah, like who would have thunk it? Like somebody had a smoothie maker or a blender at one of the aid stations and you had some of it. Thankfully he yeah. was there and, and you were like, and Oh my God, Eddie, this is actually good. Yeah. And then yeah. The Eddie bought me one Yeah, or bought me two and then Gatorade, which I never drink. Yeah. Gatorade like, just was like, like Gatorade. rocket fuel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was crazy, but I don't, I mean, over the course of three and a half days, I, I couldn't get, I think it was a total of like 3000 calories from that. Which is that insane. Was, it was yeah. insane. Yeah. Um, everyone was trying to get me. I think, remember that uh, you had me take the quesadilla from uh, Heavenly when you first mm-hmm. started pacing me the first time. And I kept that quesadilla with me for an entire day. I know. And it was I would so eat gross little pieces. Everyone thought, was like, that, you still have that? That is disgusting. And yeah. I was like, Billy told me to eat this and I'm <laughs> eating it. Like every little like bit, I was just trying little bits of this disgusting, greasy, like sun beaten cheese that was like sweating in my back. It was oh. so gross. Oh. I know. So good. Well, um, these are all great tips, Billy. Um, yeah. Wait, were you going to say something right there? No, I was were just, I, I forgot I had to, I'm doing dinner prep for our little commune here. Um, yeah. So I'm cooking for the that. entire family. So uh, I, I should run over here in a minute, but this was like such a joy. I like you know this. We could spend, we could easily do a Rogan-esque <laughs> podcast of like three or four we hours. Will. and. And and yeah. feel like no time has gone by. I know. But I in this instance, that. like I'm I'm getting nudged via text message from Hillary, like, <laughs> oh, you're supposed Wrap to be for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, and I said, and I was kind of giggling when I texted to you, right? I was like, I'm thinking like 75, maybe 90 minutes, and yeah, here we are, I'm like, like almost okay, two hour mark. That'll happen. I'm like, I don't know when we you and I have ever been able to keep a conversation at just an hour, but yeah. um, you know, like the absurd and ridiculous to like the deeply like profound. So yeah, we, yeah. we have range in our conversation. Conversations yeah, for sure. We do. And I, I love that. I love our friendship, Billy. I thank you so much for your time. I know the the listeners are really going to enjoy this podcast and they're going to come back to it. I just want to say specifically, thank you so much for sharing a little piece of your story. I know that's going to resonate with a lot of people. I think it's so powerful, like I said earlier, to hear that you have come from so many different like walks of life. Like you've lived so many like different lives. And then to see where you are today, um, we're definitely gonna do a podcast part two. You know, I think there's so much more that that we can dive into, not only with your story, but just like your wealth of experience and and just the stories you tell and the the adventures you still strive to go on and and this the story that you're still writing. It's very inspiring. And I just, yeah. I'm just so excited to be a part of that journey too. Well, as, thank as you. And friend. I'm excited to be a part of your um, 
continued story in in finishing up the 200 mile series in Moab. Yes, Billy's really coming out to pace to me. <laughs> yes, Billy. I I was like after Tahoe 200, um, I was like Billy absolutely needs to be there yeah. at Moab 240. He knows how to put up with me probably like no other pacer does like he had he he endures a lot so. and i'm bringing a uh, i'm bringing a little mini blender i'm gonna bring a whole bunch of fruit and, a magic bullet yeah a magic bullet yeah. um yeah uh, before we go now, I don't know exactly when this is coming out, and I'm rarely. Friday, it's coming out in a couple okay, of days. Okay, so, so I'm, I'm yeah. really self-promotional, but this is for a greater oh, cause. Please if there's do. One thing I was going to ask plug, you. Yes, um, I am. After I pace you, a couple of weeks after that, I will be running the New York City Marathon. So awesome! It is. Um, I'm going to be running it with our friend Justin Grunewald on yes. behalf of the uh, Brave Like Gabe organi- Organization Love Foundation. It. Obviously, uh, was a um, was a foundation set up by Gabe Grunewald, who passed away, his ex-wife from uh, his former, I shouldn't say ex-wife. His late I know wife, what you meant. I know his, his late, late wife. wife. Yeah, yeah, I just want to yeah. make that correct. Um, yes. Who uh, was an amazing, phenomenal track athlete who suffered from uh, rare cancer, which is what the organization supports. So I am, um, the link isn't set up quite yet, but we will be, Justin and I will both be raising money um, for Brave Like Gabe for um, mm. this marathon run. And like I said, we're going to run it together. We're going to create some content out of it. And if you see us there, I hope you say hello. Um, but more importantly, I hope you give um, whatever you can to this organization for this uh, creator good that, again, supports rare cancer research. And I think it's an important thing. And I was just so moved and touched by Justin gave her story that um, I wanted to do this for a while. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I just wanted to put that little plug in there before we wrap up. I, I love that. And I'll make sure for our listeners, check out the links. We'll have a link to the foundation. Um, and as soon as Billy gets me that link where you can donate, we'll put that there too. But Billy, where can people follow you on social media? Because I know they'll be able to follow this journey. They'll be able to check out your YouTube story as it comes out. What are those handles? Yeah, it's um, just at Billy Ang on most social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, pff, YouTube.com slash Billy Ang if you want to see my content Perfect. and um sallymccray.com for even better stuff so <laughs> i highly encourage you to check that out sally yeah. it has been i can't believe how long it's been it seems like uh, both yesterday and like decades <laughs> that we've hung out and shared miles together and, and i'm looking forward to sharing some more and creating Same. more stories and content but yeah. uh thank you for allowing me to do this for giving me this little stage of this incredible yeah. podcast that you're putting on now like I said, I'm just like proud Papa over here at everything you're doing, all these different verticals and and uh, content that you're creating and inspiring people. Like it's really, I'm just, you remember a day, I remember 2015 going to Western States after the year after Western Time came out yeah. and this growing momentum of people that started to know you, who are inspired by you and your story. And now it's just like, Seeing you at Mammoth Trail Fest, seeing you at the book signing, seeing you at all these events where people are just like moved to tears and you're just so generous with your time. You hug complete strangers <laughs> like off the, from the jump and you just and you like put them at this ease and comfort and you always you're so invested in their stories and their journey. 
it's just a um, really inspiring thing to witness and mm. behold. So consider me one of those people who are continually inspired by you and your story. So thank you, Sally. It's, Billy, an, it's a great honor. My brother from another mother right here, always encouraging, always kind. And um, I could say all the same things about you, yeah. truly. Um, friends, listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to hit play. Um, I know that you will be further encouraged and inspired by um, checking out all of Billy's content. Um, it's some of my personal favorite. Um, it's known worldwide for a reason. You can best bet that you will see Billy in the upcoming Tahoe 200 film, which is set Ooh. to release in just a couple weeks. Uh, Billy makes a very significant showing there. <laughs> and um, But also he will be at my Moab 240 pacing me for that last race. We are doing a Moab 240 film as well. And so you'll get to know Billy a little bit through these films if you don't know him yet. To all of our listeners, thank you for being here. And we encourage you to keep choosing strong. 